Hello Church, my name is Donnie Tapey and I have the privilege of overseeing our family's life groups and our kids' ministry. I wanted to share a, a, a quick scripture with you guys today and then invite you into an incredible mission. Uh, in Matthew 9:35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What strikes me in the scripture is that Jesus is on the move. He's not stationary or passive, but he's on mission. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's healing the sick. He's loving the people, and he's calling his disciples into that same mission. That call wasn't just for them long ago. That calls for us today. Jesus is still on the move. He's still on mission through his spirit and through his disciples, people like you and me. When you engage in the mission of Jesus, your faith comes alive in a new way. So this spring, I want to invite you uh, to engage in the mission of Jesus in three ways. One, through your time. When we give our time to serving Jesus and investing in others, we join in the mission of Jesus through our talents. Number two, God has given each one of us some incredible gifts. And when we steward those uh, into the purposes of Jesus, we join in the mission of Jesus. And number three, through our treasure. God has also given each one of us financial resources. And so when we give financially to Jesus and to his people and to his purposes, we join in his mission. So practically, how do we do that? I wanna ask you to consider serving on one of our door holder teams. What's a door holder, you say? A door holder is someone who holds the door open for others. Someone that's tasted and seen how good Jesus is and wants to let other people in to how good Jesus is. By becoming a door holder, the kids ministry becomes more than just childcare, but instead you're on mission, investing in a future generation. No longer are life groups simple social gatherings, but the communities in which our marriages are strengthened, where our, our wounds are healed, and where people learn to grow in their faith. And you get to be a part of it, God working in and through you. So if you're interested in jumping in on that this spring, please fill out one of the connect cards in the seat back in front of you and drop it in the bucket on your way out. All right, guys, that's it for uh, this week's announcements. I'm so thankful for you guys, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy today's message. Amen. Makes me want to sign up one of those connect cards. That's awesome. Uh, well, happy Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, to you, or weekend. And for the, the people of Jesus, this is especially uh, important man and mission for us to remember, acknowledge, and honor uh, the work that Martin Luther King Jr. did in the area of racial reconciliation and racial injustice is of importance, especially to the people of Jesus. Why? Because what we realize is that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom limited to one racial group, one ethnic group, one language, one nationality, one income level, but it is multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-income level that the Bible describes the kingdom of Jesus consisting of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The big C church, the larger body of Christ at large, we are called to be a multi-ethnic community that reflects the heart of God. 
As a local church, we are called to be a multi-ethnic community that reflects the heart of God. And so when we remember Martin Luther King, we remember this calling that we have, and we're doing more than honoring a historical uh, man and a historical event, but we're remembering our mission too. Martin Luther King was involved in uh, uh, justice against racial inequality. And as the community of Jesus, we're to demonstrate and witness uh, justice in our land today. And we realize that there's a lot of work that remains to be done in the area of racial injustice. So this is especially an important weekend for us to honor Dr. Martin Luther King and to remember the calling that you and I, that we have together to continue that work. So as a community, we always want to be advancing in this, we want to be growing in this, and one opportunity that I want to present to you today that you might say, hey, that, that's, that's something I need to take part in, is a new life group that we're starting. If you're saying, I'm not in a life group, I'd like to get in one, maybe this is for you. It's geared around the idea uh, of working for racial justice, working for racial reconciliation. It's going to be a group that goes through a kind of a guided curriculum called Be the Bridge that the If Gathering has put out. You might have heard of it. Um, and it's a, it's a curriculum that takes you through just discipleship on this really important issue and how to take action. And if you'd like to be a part of that, if you've been thinking about this, I know many of you have expressed interest in something like this uh, to me, I want to invite you to go to our website, to the events page, and you can read kind of about this group. And then you can email hello at antiochdallas.org and say hello I'm interested in this. We'll respond back, hello, sounds good, right? And we'll give you the information that you need. So that's a uh, practical step that's available for you uh, to take if you're interested. All right, turning your Bibles to Psalm 62, Psalm 62, verse 8. We're going to continue our series on margin and mission. In this season of life in our church, we've been learning, growing as disciples of Jesus in the area of having margin in our lives and realizing the importance of that and engaging with missions. So we started out with teaching on the need for margin through rest, through sleep, through taking time off. That was the first week of January. Second week of January, we talked about margin in our time and how as disciples of Jesus, how that affects, impacts the way that we spend our time, what we spend our time on, realizing the need for both margin and for mission, for purposeful living uh, through trading that which is less for that which is better, laying hold uh, of Jesus and the things of God. Today we're going to talk about margin in our emotions, margin in our emotional life. Next week, margin in our finances, all leading up to our conference at the end of the month called World Mandate. World Mandate is a missions conference, but it's so much more than that. It's a weekend that we take annually to create margin in our lives, to come before Jesus, creating space to realign ourselves with that which is so important, that which is most important, Him and His purposes in our life. And so we're creating space this month, and we're, we're, we're taking deep breaths this month. And we're letting God reignite the mission and the calling that he has for us. So leading up to World Mandate, you can register for that as we leave the service today. 
we are going to have on the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before World Mandate, we're going to have a time of fasting as a church. If you've never fasted before, this is a great way just to create some space. You lay aside a meal or two meals or maybe even a day or two days or three days just to create space that you could focus on Jesus and letting him speak to you. So we're going to take time to pray and fast Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Thursday evening before World Mandate, we'll have a time of group prayer here at the church from 6 to 7 that you're invited to participate in. And then that weekend, we'll have that time of just margin and mission. Again, it'll be a great, it's a great month for us as a church. So today we're talking about uh, margin in our emotions and we're going to focus on this scripture, and to do that, I'm going to ask you a question. Anyone in here like to read, like to learn about leadership? Any, any people that like to read leadership books? We've got a few, maybe in the front row, right? Yeah, we, we, had a, we had a few more in the, in the first service. Maybe this is our slacker service. I kind of like that. This is 11, you know, just showing up. Zach, here, here I am, waiting for the Cowboys game. Well, you know what? Every one of us has important opportunities in our life to lead. I uh, was thinking about my own life. Like, I want to lead in my marriage. I don't want to be a passive husband. I don't want to be like just kind of mail it in and, and just go through the motions. But I want to be proactive in my marriage. As a father, I want to be a leader in my family. I want to be proactive in investing in my kids and in the life of our family. As a pastor, I want to be a good leader to this community. I want to be a good leader to our pastoral team, right? So I, I imagine that you have areas, relationships, spheres of influence in your work or your school where you have opportunity to lead. And so I've been trying uh, for a long time to grow consistently. Got a long way to go, a lot to learn. But recently I was reading an article on the Harvard Business Review talking about leadership development. It was interesting that the person writing this was a researcher in the area of leadership development, spent much of their lives studying different ways that leaders are developed, and their conclusion was the way in which we're doing leadership development is not producing leaders. Interestingly enough, they said that the method by which most leadership development programs happen does not produce quality Leaders. So maybe you've been through a leadership program in your school or maybe at your workplace or maybe you've been through our discipleship course here at the church. This, this uh, research was saying that it's not producing leaders, not because it wasn't teaching them good things to do, but it was ignoring a crucial aspect of leadership, what this article referred to as the inner game of the leader, the inner life, the emotional world of the leader. Let me explain. They said that a leader could know, maybe you're a team leader at school with your other co-teachers. You could be the team leader. You could know, hey, there's a problem with this teacher. It needs to be addressed. I even know how to address hard conversations. You do the sandwich method. You say something positive, then you say something constructive, then you say something positive. Like you can know all of that, but you're just gripped with anxiety of gosh, I just don't want to do this. Are they going to like me? Who am I to tell them that they're not doing the right thing? Are the rest of my co-teachers, are they going to judge me for doing this? And you just get lost in the emotional challenge of doing what you know you need to do. 
They're saying this is the challenge for leaders is handling the inner game, the inner world. And so often we're incapacitated because we're just uh, caught up in our own emotional chaos. So they're saying to really help leaders develop, we need to tend to and teach how to cultivate healthy emotions. This was fascinating. Now, as we talk about this, I know there are two kind of extremes within the room, and you're probably kind of somewhere in the middle. We've got no emotions Nancy or no emotions Ned. When I start talking about emotions, you're like, I had one of those back in 2002. (laughs) Cut that out real quick. Those things can get you in a lot of trouble, right? You, you, you are not showing those emotions. You are shutting those things down. To use the garage illustration from last week, you're taking that emotion, you're putting it in the back of the garage, way back there. You're closing the door, and you're like, do not go in there, right? That's no emotions, Ned, or no emotions, Nancy. Now, the challenge with that is emotions or feelings are often very important learning tools in our lives. Practical example, senior year of high school, uh, playing basketball, my knees began to give me problems. They were hurting, and I didn't want to take time off from the sport, and so I learned a trick to get by, and that was to take Icy Hot and rub it on my knees before every practice and every game. Now, if you've never used Icy Hot before, it, it, it numbs Whatever it touches, it kind of numbs the pain or masks the pain. So I could put Icy Hot on, and then my knees wouldn't hurt. And I could practice as hard as I wanted to, or I could play as hard as I wanted to. And that's how I was getting by. So every day, Icy Hot on my knees. Every game, Icy Hot on my knees. We get about halfway through the season, and then Icy Hot stops masking the pain. The pain now is so bad. I go to the trainer, and he's like, Zach, by not listening to this feeling in your knees, by masking it, by putting the icy hot on it, you've done irreparable damage to the cartilage in your knees. So now, 18 years later, I still suffer from the damage done in that couple-month period of my life through not listening to the feelings I was having but trying to mask them, medicate them, ignore them, take them, put them in the back of the garage. Little did I know they were like gremlins. They were multiplying, and soon they were going to take over in much more painful ways than I had hoped for, right? So that's what happens. We we don't learn. We don't grow. And when we don't tend to our emotions, when we don't acknowledge them, we don't learn to handle them rightly, man, it can cause uh, irreparable damage in our lives or in our relationships. Another important reason for uh, emotions in the feeling world is it also helps us to experience the best things in life. As I've told you many times, my wife and I, we lived in a North African country, a Muslim country for three years, and there they had no pork products. It was against the rules. It was not halal. And so you had to give up various types of pork and our friends who were with us, uh, their son was, was raised there. And uh, at the time, he's about six years old. And we went to a certain uh, restaurant that kind of broke all the rules and served bacon cheeseburgers. Hello. And so this little guy who's six, they give him a bacon cheeseburger. He takes a bite of it. 
his eyes get really big. Mom, Dad, what is this delicious brown stuff in here? It's the first time he tasted bacon. Life as it was truly meant to be lived, right? And he's just, man, this is amazing. Without emotions, we miss out on some of the best things in life. Third uh, reason why it's important if you're a no-emotions Ned or you're a no-emotions Nancy, that you need emotion and to learn how to cultivate it. As we are pursuing being disciples of Jesus. Remember last week we defined what a disciple was. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be shaped by Jesus. And I want to do what he's doing, go where he's going. That's what a disciple is. Right? It's going to be very hard for you or for me to progress in our discipleship to Jesus if we don't let him impact our emotions. What I mean by this is when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus described as a man of joy. You see him at other times moved with compassion and mercy. At other times, he's fatigued. And he acknowledges that. At other times, he's angry and rightfully expresses the anger. So it's going to be very hard for us if we're saying, hey, I want to be like you, if we don't let our emotions be transformed to be those like Jesus. Remember last week I told you about the Knights Templar, these old knights that were baptized but kept their sword out of the water, their hand with a sword, everything else went under, but this Jesus was not touching. That was not going under the baptism waters. Jesus, you are not going to have this part of me. What I did on the battlefield was mine to decide. If we take our emotions and we say, Jesus, you can have everything else, but you're not touching these. These are shut off in the back of the garage, right? That's not what a disciple is. We're saying, Jesus, you can have all of me. And there are a few things with as much revelatory power to witness the goodness of Jesus than emotions rightly expressed. There are a few things with as much revelatory power to express the goodness of Jesus than emotions rightly expressed. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, We have become friends, my family's become friends with a Syrian family that has immigrated to uh, America largely because of the violence in the Middle East. And we've gotten to know them, Uh, they've been in our house, we've been in theirs, and recently we were having dinner with them. Uh, My in-laws right here on the front row, Frank and Linda, we just wave a hand, you're going to get a little embarrassed here because I'm going to talk about y'all. Um, uh, love my in-laws. They were with us for this meal, and we're sitting with this Syrian family, and, and we're eating, and we're together, and, and then we move into the living room after the meal, and, and Frank, my father-in-law, all of a sudden stops the conversation, and he says <clears throat> to this uh, Muslim family, he says, our scriptures call us to weep with those who weep. And at that moment, he begins, Frank, right here, begins to be moved with emotion. He begins to actually weep. And he says to the family, he says, Muhammad, family, I just want you to know that we weep with you for the pain that you've been through as a result of the war. What happens? All of a sudden, 
we're having what went from a dinner just hanging out to like a holy moment. And I watch Muhammad, the mid-50-year-old Arab male, begins to cry. And then his wife begins to cry. Then their teenage daughters begin to cry. Then their grade school daughter begins to cry. Not because they were feeling sorry for themselves, but because they had experienced someone understanding them, connecting with them, empathizing with them, demonstrating compassion. And then Frank says, we're gonna, we, we'd like to pray for you. And we'd like to hold hands. Now, I'm not much of a hand holder. I like to hold my wife's hand. I like to hold my daughter's hand. But outside of that, I'm not a prayer hand holder guy. But my in-laws are, and I respect them for that. When, when you take that moment, right, you can call the shots. So, so now... We're, we're, we're holding hands with this family, and he begins to pray, and they're weeping, and he's weeping, and he begins to pray that they would experience the love of Jesus, that they would experience the blessing of God. It was a moment where you're like, heaven has come near in this room. It was amazing. When we got done, Muhammad, the father, said this. He said, when I came tonight, I did not know if I could continue on. Life has been so hard. But tonight I found my family and God has strengthened me in this place and I know I can face tomorrow. Wow. Now there was no wise or persuasive words, although I like wise and persuasive words, but there was a demonstration of the emotions of Jesus, the compassion of God that ministered to a family in great need in powerful ways. There are few things with as much revelatory power as emotions rightly expressed. So if you're a no-emotion Ned or a no-emotion Nancy, and I can be that way at times, we realize, hey, we've got room to grow. There's a call on us to grow in this area as disciples of Jesus. Now, to the other side of the room, we've got emoticon Aaron, right? Life is feelings. I love to talk about feelings. I love just to express my feelings. In fact, when we text, we shouldn't text in words. It should just be all emoticons. That would be the best thing in life, right? And you're, you're laughing because we know, we know either we're like that or, or there are people that we know they're like that. So the garage image, you've got the garage door open all the time. And you've got just stuff just flowing out everywhere, right? That, that, that's emoticon Aaron, you know, the challenge for Emoticon Aaron is just you ride the roller coaster every day of the emotional ups and downs. So it's 8 a.m. and you're on top of the world. It's 8.01 and you're on the bottom of the world. It's 8.02 and you're over here and it's hard for you to know who you are. It's hard for your friends and your family to know what to expect. And then a bigger question is, how do we sift through the emotions that we have to see, to understand which of these emotions are going to lead us into bondage of self-obsession, of pride, uh, uh, various types of destruction, or which are godly and are going to lead us into freedom and blessing? We have very little resource in our society to navigate those emotions. And one of the primary battles that you and I face 
is how to prioritize the different things that we feel and know which ones of them to follow or to listen to. Let me give you an example. You're in a dating relationship, and you text your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Hey, what are you doing? 20 seconds pass. No response. 40 seconds pass. No response. 60 seconds pass. No response. This must be over. I knew that they didn't like me. They're actually probably on a date with my best friend right now. Right? You just start having all these emotions. How do you know? Or you're thinking about choosing a major. Gosh, I've read, I've read seven uh, Huffington Post articles on how to choose a major. I talked to two of my friends, one upperclassman, and, and, and I know the right way to choose a major, but what, what if I can't make it in this major? What if I choose this major, but I don't like it? What, if, what are my parents going to think? And you just start spinning with all this emotional turmoil. How do you know how to navigate that? We don't, and so we realize there's a need to learn how to rightly handle emotions. And there's few things that decrease our margin in life or our sense of than when we're overextended emotionally. And we have all these unresolved emotions just kind of swimming around inside of us and we don't know what to do. So praise God for good news of the gospel that he gives us a way to cultivate healthy emotions and to experience emotional margin. Let's look at Psalm 62.8. It's a short psalm. And then we're going to put this into practice. So it says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. This is a beautiful three lines of scripture that I believe is a word from God for us today. So it starts out by giving us the context for pouring out our heart. It's very easy to see the main action right in the middle, the, the, the white icing in the middle of the Oreo right here is to pour out your heart. But it starts with one of the big challenges that we all face. It begins with trust in the Lord at all times. What that means is that God is a safe place for you. You may have grown up in a family where you couldn't express your emotions. Where it was like, man, I tried that that one time. Whew, I'm not doing that again. You just keep that stuff to yourself, right? You may have had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a coach, a teacher, uh, whoever, a pastor, right? When you express that stuff, it was like, shut that down right now, right? But what you see in God is a safe place, someone you can trust. God's never in a bad mood. You don't ever catch him on a bad day. You don't ever get an out-of-office reply when you really need him, right? He's consistent and unchanging. God is always in a good mood with you. You can always approach him so we can come to him from a place of trust. Number two, you see, we are invited, called, challenged to pour out our hearts before him. If we can, there we go, pour out our hearts before him. To bring the internal dynamics of what's going on in us, what's under the icebergs, not just our feelings, but our beliefs, our longings, our deepest kind of desires in life, our, our orientations, everything about life that's underneath the surface. We're, we're invited and called to bring it and pour it out before him. 
wow, someplace to go that's not just shoving the emotion in the back of the garage because I don't know what to do with it or getting dominated as it just overtakes my life. I can bring my heart before the Lord. Then three, we don't stop there with just expressing ourselves, but what do we find as we pour out our hearts? We find God is our refuge. What's a refuge? It's our anchor. It's the place where the storm comes where there's consistency. It's our shelter from the ups and the downs of life, from the inner complexities we go through. When we pour out ourselves, what do we find? We find God there at the end of ourselves, able to speak truth, clarity, strength, wisdom, to say, hey, this emotion, that's not, that's not real. It, it, just because your boyfriend or girlfriend didn't text you back in 30 seconds, you're, you're, it's okay. You're more valuable than a 30-second kind of respond rate on text. And if you follow that emotion, Zach, that's going to lead you into a self-obsessed bondage. That's not what I have for you. You begin to find resource to sort through. I have actually called you to this major. I actually have this for you. You can step forward with confidence. Like It begins to change. We find God there. And when we find God there as an anchor, we begin to have a resource to sift through all of the emotions that we have and to cultivate them in right order so that we can be people who experience the best of the emotions and we have them in right order so we're not dominated by them, that we can experience margin in our emotional world and we can be strengthened to go on mission into the things that God has called us to. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put that scripture up on the sides. We had a little screen problem earlier, so that's why it's on the sides today. And I'm going to give you four questions just to help you contemplate, to help you on the pouring out your heart to the Lord. I'm not the best at this, so these questions help me, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have the band come on up, and they're going to play some instrumental music in the background. We're going to take five minutes like we did last week to sit to reflect on this scripture, to think deeply, to chew it, to, to, to marinate in it, right? And I want to use these questions to help you. What makes you mad? What are the things that make you mad in life right now? What makes you sad? What are the things that bring you sadness? What makes you scared? What makes you glad? You can pick one of these questions or all four of them. You could use them tomorrow morning and every morning after that if you'd like to continue into this, but this is a way, a practical way to begin to pour out your heart to the Lord, and as you do that, then to not just talk, but listen, and let him be the refuge that he is. Listen to his word by his spirit spoken to you today. So as the band plays some music, let's take time together to reflect on these things and let God speak us.
We're going to sing a new song um, for you guys. And I just want to encourage you, you can just stay seated right where you are. And as we sing, just kind of let the words um, wash over you. And it's a pretty simple song. As you get it, you can sing. Uh, you can jump in and sing or you can stay uh, just right in the place that you are. You can stand up if you want. It doesn't matter. But we're just going to continue to um, just sing the song over you guys. And you can continue to just connect with the Lord.
together. I need 